here in the eastern part of the United States and wherever you are, it's time for Bible Quest, a discussion of God's communication to man. Now, this broadcast is being recorded and will be available for later viewing on BibleQuest.org, also on Facebook and YouTube. Now, during the show today, if you like, keep your Bible handy so you can fact check and confirm the things I've said here today. Please feel free to contribute to the discussion with your comments and your questions. You can click on, uh, I'm sorry, click on the question and answer button. You'll see that probably near the top of your video screen. Um, keep that Q&A box open so that you can jump right in with your text. Our panelists are Scott Smeltzer from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Hi, Scott. Hello. Thanks for being here today. Glad you're here. Uh, Stephen Rouse, also from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody. Hi, Stephen. And then uh, Jeff Smeltzer from Exton, Pennsylvania. Good afternoon, everyone. And I'm your host, Drew DeGrotto from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Okay, so let's let's get into our topic today. Now, the topic, as you probably saw on the website, is in the world, but not of the world. But Scott, before I turn this over to you, I have a question for our audience. Jesus made a statement uh, in John 8, John 8, 23, said, He is not of this world. But speaking to others in general, he said, they are in the world. And then later on in John 17, Jesus talking uh, to his heavenly father in prayer, praying on behalf of his disciples, he said, uh, he is no longer in the world, but they, meaning his disciples, are in the world. Now, one more statement he made, though, backing up to John 15, 19, he's speaking to his disciples, and he says to them, that they are not of this world. What's going on here? What, what, what do you think Jesus is talking about here? Yes, they're in the world. No, they're not in the world. What does Jesus mean by all of that? So come on and ask, answer that question. Pop, uh, pop in, give us some text questions back, and let us know what you're thinking is going on here. Now, with all of that said, Scott, you want to jump in here? Yeah, we're going to be talking about especially John chapter 17, and the text there, oh, I got the wrong thing up. Uh, let me find it. There it is. We're going to be talking about the Gospel of John in particular, in which Jesus said in John 17. But first, think about this. When you read the book of Corinthians, it's written to a church in the first century that Paul himself had started and planted. Have you ever been shocked at what was going on in that church? You know, we see, uh, and guys, what are some of the things going on in the church there? You've got guys who are still wanting to go down and worship at the idol temple. You've got people who are, or at least they're wanting to participate in the idol feast. You've got people who are wanting to justify fornication. Um, you've got people who are. Um, they want to sue each other, right? Go to court. Yeah. Go yeah. To court with one another. Uh, it looks like some are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Uh, they're making a, a, a meal out of it. Uh, they don't seem to care about the poor. Uh, there, there's, they're having to be warned about not going to prostitutes. There's, there's even incest going on. It, it, it's, it's. Have you ever read that and just thought, what on earth were they thinking? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are these Christians? Yeah. These, well, <laughs> they were supposed to be. They had, they had taken on that commitment, and they're showing up for church. And they're, you know, and they're claiming the name of Jesus. Yeah. And you look at that and you think, what are they thinking? Well, let me tell you what they were thinking. They were thinking like Corinthians. When you study the culture of Corinth, 
it was a horribly immoral city with a big difference between the, the, the wealth and the poor and, and, and not necessarily a lot of care for the poor. Big emphasis on idolatry. They loved lawsuits. The, the, the history talks about lawyers innumerable. And so they were behaving, instead of acting like disciples of Christ out of the world, they were taking the name of Christ, but they were still acting like their culture. Do I remember that there was even uh, kind of a saying in in that time uh, that to live like a Corinthian, that that just was an expression that had the connotation of being very uh, worldly? Oh, yeah. There was there was even a play some years before. Now, this was old Corinth, but new Corinth had the same basic character in these ways. Um, it was the play in English it would be the whoremonger. But it was the title included the word Corinth. The, the phrase Corinthian girl meant prostitute. You know, oh, she's oh, a Corinthian girl. That, that's interesting. Yeah. That I didn't know. So here's girl. the question, and I want to throw this out to our audience. You look at these Corinthian brethren, and they are accepting just all sorts of ridiculous. Oh, and they're, they're lining up behind their different teachers. I'm behind this teacher. I'm behind this teacher. Because they're philosophers. They like to follow them and and be adherents to them. We look at that and we're shocked and aghast and can rightfully say, what on earth are they thinking? This is not what they should be doing. They were in their culture. Here's my question. And I want the audience comment in, uh, you can go to biblequest.org. If you found us on Facebook live, uh, however you can get in looking at the bottom of the page, send us some t- by text, uh, by, by chat, your responses to this. And the question is, Suppose Paul came to America. Suppose Paul came to Pennsylvania. Suppose Jesus came to Pennsylvania. What would they be alarmed about? Early uh, other saints, Barnabas, other people, what would they be alarmed at and shocked at that we tolerate because, oh, that's, that's how we as Americans do it. The Cretans tended to be idle gluttons and liars. The Corinthians tended to be idolatrous, and, and, and promiscuous. And we're naive if we think that our culture doesn't have. Yeah. So what's typical of American culture. Right. We also see among professing Christians. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, a bunch of guys at the gym after a certain time, they get used to the fact that they're all sweaty and stinky. Yeah. But if somebody else walks in the room and smells all those socks, it's yeah. like, whoa. So what, what are some <laughs> things in our culture that should be abhorrent that too easily be let. You know, there's a campaign ad that some, I don't know if it's an air freshener or what, but that's the premise of the campaign ad that you may be accustomed to the way your car smells, or you may be accustomed to the way your house smells, but somebody else walks in and they're, uh, you know, and so here we are, we become accustomed to it. We live in it and we don't even realize how detestable it is. Yeah. In Christ. And so we live in a stinky world and we need to start looking and seeing how clean we've gotten. So let's look at a few of these texts and then we want to get to your comments, your questions. And we've also, Jeff's got some material on culture that later in the broadcast we're going to look at that I want you to stay tuned for. It's really, really interesting, very timely and uh, a lot of interesting stuff there. But first let's get to these texts. John chapter one, verse nine through 10 The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
The next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus says to the disciples in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of this world, the world would love you as its own. I'm reminded of, remember when Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you? We really like everybody to speak well of us. But if we're really being a light in the world, that's not always going to happen. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then finishing in John 17, as he prays here to the Father and he's speaking of his, his apostles, he said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. He prays to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says, As you sent me, Jesus praying to the Father, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we have to be not of the world, but at the same time being sent into the world. Later, Jesus would say, my kingdom is not of this world. In 1 Corinthians 5, when he's telling the Corinthians not to associate with sexually immoral, he said, I don't mean the ones in the world. You'd have to go out of the world not to be around worldly people but not to tolerate that in the church. So gentlemen, what about this? An audience out there. Well, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah. um, Jim had come in early and said that he, I mean, he knows we all know what we're talking about here. We're talking about the physical world. We're not in the physical world, although we're living in it. And so there's a different way than we have to live while we're in the world. But you know, that comment drew gets to something because we're talking about a spiritual world or a spiritual kingdom of which we are citizens, if we are Christ's, as opposed to the physical world, there's a, there's a reality gap here. We being human beings in physical bodies in a physical world, we tend to think of the real as the physical, the world that we can see with countries with geographic boundaries, uh, governments where we know who the people are and where their offices are in such and such a city and that kind of thing. What we have to get in our heads is that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is is real. It's just as real as that. It's not physical, but we truly are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And sometimes I think people tend to think, well, yeah, in my spiritual life, I'm citizen of a heavenly kingdom. But in my physical life, I'm a citizen of the United States of America or anything. And that's really not the concept that Jesus is trying to get across. He's not trying to say, well, you have two halves. You have your spiritual half and your real half. We are citizens of heavenly kingdom. That's who we are. That's our kingdom. Yeah. I also think this idea, kind of coming back to, to Jim's comment, that we are in the world because we physically live on this earth, but we, not, but we must not be of this world, meaning focused on the material things of life. Rather, we need to be focused on our spiritual life and heavenly things. Um, there's certainly a sense in which we need to be, well, we're in the world because we exist. <laughs> That's obvious. But there's also a sense in which we do need to interact with our culture, um, that there are 
monks and people uh, that you can look at in history that uh, to be pious, they withdrew from society and kind of hold themselves up, you know, in a monastery somewhere. And they're, they're still physically on planet earth, but they're not really interacting with anyone. Mm -hmm. And we'll probably talk more about this as we go through that Jesus doesn't want Christians to just, you know, be holy, but stay away from everybody. Right. Not hermits. Be holy. And to interact with people. Sometimes I've heard it said uh, that, you know, if you're the salt of the earth, you don't keep the salt in the shaker all the time, right? Mm -hmm. You gotta, it's gotta come into contact with, uh, with other things to be effective. I think we're going to get the light of the world illustrated here. Let's read that text from Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. The star on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I'll tell you what's easy to do. It's easy for us to you know, shine brightly when we're with other Christians on Sunday. And then when we go back out in the world, want to turn our light down dimly. And that's our job. Like when Jesus said, I've sent, they're not of the world, but I've sent them into the world. The world's going to hate them. I've sent you in there. If we go out there and we look just like the world, act like the world, behave like the world, talk like the world and have world worldly morals, then there, there's nothing for us to be drawing them to. We've been drawn to them. This is our job to be the light of the world. So is one of those lights going to come on there? I thought one of those lights was going to come on. No, nope, no, nope, got no animation there. Just, just the oh, picture. wait, I had, I, I had the light that was on covered up. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's a light. That's oh, you put your bushel. light under a bushel. <laughs> that's what I did. I put that under a bushel. <laughs> And we can do that, you know, with our own lives. If we are not willing to be different than the world around us, we just blend in. I think you got a slide coming up about blending in. Oh, yeah. Here's um, this guy here. Now, take a look. <laughs> uh, you can see dark there, there. There's a compound bow, but there's also a man there. Now, it's hard to see him because he's purposely looking like the world around him. That's an incredible photo. Yeah. Oh, wow. Listen, I, I heard a story years ago about a fella from out west when they were putting in the, the uh, Alaskan pipeline. And there was really good money to be made. And so he told uh, his brother, he said, I'm going to go up to Alaska and put in the pipeline. Well, some of them knew some of the environment uh, up there. And they said, that, that's going to be kind of a rough environment. There's going to be a lot of, you know, substance abuse and prostitution and, and a rough crowd up there you know, we're worried about. She said, Oh, I'll be fine. So he went up, he made his money, spent a lot of time around all these really worldly people came back and said, Oh yeah, went fine. Didn't have any problem. They never found out I was a Christian. <laughs> oh, wow. His light was under a bushel. <laughs> wait, wait, uh, uh, Scott, you're showing that slide. What did you say that slide is? Cause I'm looking at it. You don't Here's see him. There's a bow hunter right there. I think this is Red Fox retail uh, camouflage gear, I think is what it is. There is a man right there on a tree stand. If, if you look toward the bottom of the photo, toward the bottom of the tree, you'll see the stand, and then you'll see his feet on the stand. There's his feet. There's oh, foot. yeah. There's a leg. There's a leg. Here's, here's one elbow where he's pulling back the arrow. 
There's his cap. Nah, well, that's amazing. So, so that's your Corinthian Christian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the person today who says he's a Christian, but lives just like everybody else in the world does. Yeah. Well, on some days he takes the camo off. It's okay, right? What? Yeah, on Sundays he can take the camo off. <laughs> right, right. And 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 in which case, really, it's not so much as taking the camo off. Is putting the hypocrisy on, and then you know presenting this, and then going back out out of the world and yeah. acting like that. And you know what? Those Christians they didn't have any shame, and that's what that's what Britannica's uh, text in too. Americans have no shame. Oh, that's true. And then we, as Christians, Americans, we we bring that along with us, not realizing it. You know, maybe maybe I need to look at my shame more, or or somehow acquire that shame. And, and look what the one thing that is not tolerable in our culture anymore to cause anybody else to feel shame. If you say something is wrong, yeah. so that somebody else might not be able to celebrate and be applauded for whatever they want to do. Shame, shame has become an evil, evil world word in our culture. That's yeah. a good observation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, that and that leads into uh, this perspective on uh, acceptance of various religions and intolerance of a religion that says somebody else is wrong. Let's get in this material that you have, Jeff. I'm going to stop my share and let's get in. There's real interesting thoughts here coming up. And Jeff, why don't you get into that with us? All right. So um, right uh, here, with, with, this is just looking at. Christianity and culture and the fact that there's going to be a conflict and the Christian has to be willing to be different. He can't have that driving desire to just blend in. And so this was a, a quotation from a man named William Ramsey. And he, and this, this first paragraph, if you think about it, it should strike you as wrong. Toleration of new religions as such was far greater under the Roman Empire uh, than it has been in modern times. Now, just pause right there for a moment. Uh, toleration of new religions far greater under the Roman Empire than it has been in modern times. In modern times, in our times, is there a lot of toleration of different religions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, you can tolerate a lot of religions, except... Well, we'll get to the except <laughs> okay. in a moment. But, you know, you, you know, here in Philadelphia and, and where most people are, there's all kinds of different religious groups, and, and nobody bats eye, however strange the group may be compared to the rest of the culture. And I've made the observation, you could start a church of the one-eyed cat, put up a storefront sign and have your meetings in that storefront, and hardly anybody would bat an eye because they don't care. As long as you don't say something like, uh, this is the only way to God. Um, so... The thing about this paragraph is that, that Ramsey wrote this in 1892 in Scotland. And in Scotland in 1892, there was not a lot of toleration. There was not a lot of diversity. But really what he's saying about the Roman Empire in the first and second century is really what is true today. A single new addition, a single new additional religion was a matter of almost perfect indifference. And nobody would care today if somebody started a new religion. As long as Buddha and Jesus and Muhammad and the one-eyed cat 
are all on the same level. Exactly. So then Ramsey went on, he said, but the aggressiveness of Christianity, and he went in to talk about how it demanded change in people's lives and how it, it, it actually uh, put an end to, if you became a Christian, you would have to give up maybe your livelihood if your livelihood was in some immoral or pagan activity. Christianity said, you've got to change. The other religions let you be what you wanted to be. If you're worshiping an idol, you can kind of do whatever you want and say that's what the idol wants. Uh, Jeff, do you remember uh, in the movie uh, that Ben Stein did, I don't remember, Expelled? Yeah. The quote from Richard Dawkins at the end where he said, we're not trying to say there can't be any churches or can't be any Christianity as long as it's just a thing you get together and do on the weekend like somebody quilts and it doesn't affect your life. Spot on. Christianity is okay as long as it doesn't challenge anybody to change and, and be different than the culture. So then Ramsey went on and he said, the other problem that was perceived by the larger society was that Christianity was intolerant. It showed an intolerance for other religions. Well, I guess we ought to pause just for a second and ask, is, in, is Christianity intolerant of other religions? And if so, what do we mean by that? It's you guys. Intolerance first is the thing. So is, it, is Christianity intolerant in the sense that, oh, there's a person who lives over there who's a Buddhist. Let's go tar and feather him. Is Christianity intolerant like that? Oh, certainly. In no. what sense is Christianity intolerant? Well, um, let's just jump ahead here real quickly. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's kind of an exclusive statement. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. It's saying this is the only way. So you go back here to, to Ramsey's statement, and he's really talking about two things that made Christianity unacceptable in a world that would accept almost anything. And one was lifestyle conflict and the other was the message of exclusivity. So, all right, do we want to, as Christians, do we want to have the attitude, uh, we're just looking for a conflict. I'm a Christian. Uh, what are you going to do about it? Is that the way we want to come across? No, we can't do that, obviously. I always think of Daniel, and, and he is a good example of somebody who was winsome in his character, even as he stood true to his convictions. And maybe we don't have time to talk about the, the, the particulars, but let me move on and talk about something else in the book of Daniel. And it's um, in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, somebody read for us Daniel chapter 3, and uh, or just set the stage, Nebuchadnezzar's image and how he called upon everybody to worship it. Remember Daniel 3 where he builds this 90-foot uh, image and he says everybody's got to bow down to it when they hear the music playing? And who didn't bow down to it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Jews, peers of Daniel's. And somebody went to the king and complained about that. And the complaint is interesting. It's in Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. They said to the king, 
There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you've set up. The complaint was not they worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The complaint was they don't worship your gods, and they dissed you. Right. That's what happens in society today. It's when somebody gets the idea that I believe something that would condemn them. Now I can't be tolerated. You know, I think that ties in also just on like moral behavior and cultural things like this. Have you ever noticed how this is so? And then think about why it's so. People are extremely generous when it comes to sharing uh, in drug and alcohol abuse. You know, it's like, here, have some. Uh, no. It, now, if it's shrimp, if it's steak, you know, if, if I offer you some shrimp or, or a steak kebab and you say, oh, no, thank you, I'm okay with that because, hey, more for me. Yeah. But if I'm trying to, if I'm sitting here and I'm doing cocaine or this or whatever, and I'm trying to say, oh, come on, try it, try it. And you say, no, that's not okay with me. For some reason, there's this compelling, yeah. nobody pulls up to shell gasoline and says, here, let me give you 10 gallons of gas. Oh, no, thanks. No, come on, come on, <laughs> it's just a gallon. Why is it that people are compelled yeah. The it's, person that's not taking part, take part. It's the old stigma against drinking alone. When you say, oh, you shouldn't drink alone or nobody wants to drink alone. They're not talking about having a Coca-Cola. They're not talking about a cup of coffee. People have a cup of coffee by themselves, but they don't want to drink alcohol alone because there's kind of something about that. If I'm going to do it, I want somebody else to be doing it. Uh, yes. let, let, let me interrupt here because we've got some comments coming in and I'm not sure I can answer them. Um, and I don't want to go too fast past their comments, but I did notice Jim Nunn, he raised his hand. Now, some of you might not know there's a little button to raise your hand. And when you do raise your hand, it means you want to ask something or say something. So, Jim, um, go ahead and text me in a question or what you want. You want us to bring you on with a live phone call because we can't add you on with a, you know the audio call, but I don't want to just do that without understanding your request. Um, and then, Jay, uh, Jay Joe's, she made a couple of comments here uh, about the Corinthians. I think this is even going back further back to what you were asking, uh, Scott, about the Corinthians. Uh, the question is, who was training on a daily basis? These babies, quote unquote, in the Lord. Who was training well, them? Is that I, the question? Who was training them? And that, I'm, So I'm not sure. Jay Joe, if you can be a little bit more uh uh, clarify that question more. Are you saying who was training them? Um, and her first question uh, was in the chat box. It said, who had ministered to the Corinthians initially and who was to follow up in their oh. walk? Oh, that makes more sense of her question. And Jeff? So she's probably talking about Paul and Apollos. Paulus, Paul, Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered. And we know the story in the book of Acts. Paul was there first, and then later on, Apollos came along. I'm not, I'm not sure what she's getting at with that, but that's certainly the history of it. But, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you've got that Paul planted, Apollos watered. But at the time of 1 Corinthians, neither of them are there anymore. Right. Paul's over at Ephesus, and he said, I tried to get Apollos to come over there to you, 
Paul would have been in favor of that, but he wasn't able to at the time. They do have some local teachers, but some of these local teachers are not doing a good job. Some of them seem to be part of this kind of uh, philosophical, loving, uh, teacher-adhering type thing, because right after he talks about what he planted, Apollos watered, then he says, uh, if any man destroys the temple of God, him will God destroy. Let no man deceive himself. If any man thinks he is wise among you in this world, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So there were apparently some teachers there at Corinth at this time who were too enamored with philosophy. And, and, and here's a problem. If you're too enamored with philosophy, you're also not focused enough on what needs to be done in straightening out the problems that were there. So kind of picking up with this, this thought about Christianity and the Roman Empire not being accepted, even though they would accept almost any other religion. And part of the problem being lifestyle conflict, because Christianity demanded that your life change and uh, maybe even you might have to give up your source of income if it was in something ungodly or something idolatrous. And so um, jumping ahead here a little bit, Acts 19, there's a familiar story about a man who was a silversmith and he made his living selling little silver shrines of the goddess Diana or Artemis or of the temple itself, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And, uh, well, his lively, just think if Demetrius were to become a Christian, uh, he'd have to give up his job. He couldn't continue that kind of work. That's right. And what he perceived was, even if he didn't become a Christian, people who were becoming Christians, Christianity was going to demand that they turn away from pagan idolatry And that was going to hinder his sales. It was going to destroy his market. Right. And so this is what Ramsey was talking about when he says Christianity demanded changes. And sometimes those changes could cost something. And that reminds me of Revelation, the 13th chapter. And people get all excited about speculating about the mark of the beast. But the point here in Revelation, the 13th chapter is people accept the mark of the beast, which we could think of as the approval of the world being like the world. People accept that because they want to get along in the world, knowing that if you don't accept the world's approval, then you might not be able to buy or to sell. Only those who have the the world's approval, the mark of the beast could buy or sell. And we're seeing examples of that in our society today, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you guys know some of these some of these news stories that have been in the news the last three or four years. The Colorado baker who uh, refused to make a cake for a wedding ceremony. The Arizona Uh, florist who had a customer that she often gave flowers to. But when he wanted flowers for a same sex wedding, she declined and. She yeah, that, that one, she's been in the news again in just last week. You're talking about Baronel Stutzman, I guess is how you say her name, right? Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but uh, that may be the same one. She's the one, the one I'm thinking of is in Washington State. She had a couple of clients, gay, homosexual men, a couple, and she had sold them flowers and things for nine years. Then they came in and they wanted her to to provide the flowers for their wedding. And she said, I can't do that. You know, when you go in and you decorate a wedding venue for somebody's wedding, um, you're, you're lending your support to, uh, 
to that occasion celebrating that union. Well, she says, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I can't do that. And so she got in big trouble. Uh, the world hates her. The what? The world hates her. Yeah, the world hates her. That is true. There were photographers in Arizona I, who ran into a problem. Uh, Houston's lesbian mayor here a year or two ago. You remember that? I don't remember that one. She subpoenaed, tried to subpoena. Oh, yes. Was, yeah. Yeah. Wanted, wanted what, preachers to send in their the text of their sermons? Yes. Yes. So yeah. Your sermon outline so we can see who's preaching against homosexuality. Uh, and then there's the wedding chapel in Idaho. And I think there was a couple up here in New England somewhere, New York, where they had a, uh, a venue on their own prop, their personal property, their home, their little farm or something. And they would allow weddings to be done there. And now somebody wants to come in and have a gay wedding there. They refused and they got in big trouble. We're talking some of these people being fined thousands of dollars. In one case, $135,000 and put, put out of business. Melissa Sweetcakes. Uh, put out of business, put out of business. And so the point here is not, oh, us poor Christians being persecuted by the world. The point is, even if it costs us something, are we still willing to be different than the world and to do what is right, stand up for what is right, seeing ourselves as citizens of a separate kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, and that's where our allegiance is. And that's, that's really the point I think we want to get at today. Yeah. We'll get back to that. more of that in a minute. We've got some questions here that have come in. I want to read some of these comments or good comments. Uh, Jim pointed out that based on Paul's concern about division among teachers, he would be aghast at the huge number of, you know, uh, so-called Christian denominations today. One of the things he uh, criticized the Corinthian church for, and rightly so, was they were making divisions about, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. And he said, don't do that. Have no divisions among you. If he were come and just go down the street, here's this church that teaches that, another church that teaches this, a different church that teaches that, that he'd be aghast at that. Also the sexual immorality. And uh, Chase made a comment that's really good here. I, I, I want to read this. First and foremost, I think Jesus or Paul would see, I, this is going back to the question of what are some things in our culture that we need to be aware of? First and foremost, I think Jesus or Paul would see our constant want to be seen of men, mm -hmm. which in the Pharisees was also seen there, of course, Matthew 6. They would be shocked at how even in the Lord's church, there are many men that are only serving to be seen of men, not to glorify our Father. And I'd like us to talk about that for just a couple minutes here. One, just how prevalent it is in our culture, even on on social media, which we're, we're using here for a Bible study and can do good. But going back to just the tone, remember when there used to be my face and and uh, yeah. our our selfies, people yeah. do behavior yeah. online that used yeah. to everybody would have agreed was rude. If I just walked up to you guys on the street and said, hey, look at this picture of me. Look, look how handsome am I? <laughs> <laughs> look, at, look, look at how nice a lunch hey, I had. Scott, nobody's going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Uh -uh. Um, but, you, you know, that type of behavior, you know, what, but on, it, it's, it's all about me, all about me. So much of life is now. And then that gets incorporated into churches as well. 
Yeah. And, and this is uh, social media in general. You just think of just the, not only the behavior that's all about self, talking about oneself, showing pictures of oneself. And I'm not saying you can never show a picture of yourself. We've got our four pictures up here now. But talking about oneself, it's just a preoccupation with self. And then you start thinking about uh, the kinds of things people talk about when they aren't talking about themselves. Uh, and, and it's really not the kinds of things Christians should be preoccupied with, the things that right. social media is preoccupied with, where their minds are focused. And, and what we have here is it's kind of like a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, it took time for ideas to spread. Now, then we come to the television age and ideas spread so much more quickly. And now in the social media age, boom. And so now the, the, the prevailing culture is not only all around us, but it goes all around the world instantaneously. And we just soak it up just, just exceedingly quickly. Yes. And I think this gets back to some of the idea of being in the world, but not of the world. It really, it comes down to a question of priorities. It comes down to a question of, uh, of conduct. Um, it, people in the world go to work. Christians go to work. Yeah. Uh, people in the world talk about sports or uh, news or things that are going on. Christians talk about news and things that are going on. But it has to do with where is our focus? Where is our passion? Uh, are, are we... We can participate in some of the same types of things that people in the world participate in. Not all of them, of course. And Corinth talks about some of the lines you have to draw uh, in, in that letter. But so much of it comes back to the heart. Uh, are we seeking the attention of men on social media? Or are we really seeking to use that as a tool to honor God, to build one another up? Um, so much of it comes down to motive, comes down to the heart. Mm -hmm. And that's really where... This in the world, but not of the world. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, uh, your your comments ties in what Jim has just also said. You know, Corinth was not enamored about tongues and carrying, and they weren't caring enough about the prophecy and knowledge. Their motivation was more about attention to themselves. And so this is where I want to come back now to what you just said, Drew, and what you were saying, Stephen. And it comes what that's really about. It comes down to what is our identity. How do we think of ourselves? Who do we think of ourselves? So I got some photographs here I want to show you. Um, and, and this particular set of photographs kind of focuses on how we dress. But how we dress is a, is a reflection of how we think of ourselves. Do we think of ourselves as part of this world or do we think of ourselves as part of a heavenly kingdom? And here's a photograph of some Guatemaltecas. It's some women in Guatemala and they're wearing what is their traditional dress. They wear this kind of thing every day. And... Um, if, if, if your daughter or your wife were told, here, you've got to wear this today when you go shopping, or you've got to wear this when you go to school, our daughters, our wives, in fact, I myself would feel especially uncomfortable if I were told that. <laughs> <laughs> I would feel uncomfortable for you, Jeff. But you look at those women, do they look like they feel embarrassed that they're dressed that way? No. No. Yeah. And then you look at these women, they look different than we look. Do they look embarrassed? They look pretty happy. And then you look at this Muslim family here, and they're at a water park. And you know how Americans typically dress to go to a water park. And many Americans would feel all out of place if they had to cover up like this at a water park. And yet this family looks like they're having fun. They don't seem worried about it. 
And then here's some people that live in the county where I live, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and you see some Amish folks, and they look very different than a lot of Americans. And my daughters, if I had told them, here's what you're going to wear to school, they would have probably thought, oh, but I'm going to look different. I'll look awkward. These young people don't look like they feel embarrassed. Now, my point is not that we need to look like these people or that we need to look like the Guatemaltecas. My point is simply the reason these people don't feel embarrassed or awkward is because they identify more with a different group than the larger culture. The Guatemaltecas don't identify with the world at large. They identify with their own culture. These Amish young people, they don't identify with the larger culture. They think of themselves as Amish. As Christians who are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, we need to have this sense of who I am. I belong to a heavenly kingdom so strongly, so much, that if God's word compels me to do something different than the larger world around me does, maybe even dress differently than the world around me does, that's okay and it's not a problem for me because I don't identify with that world. I'm a Christian. Here's uh, uh, on this, uh, let me show something here. We're getting close to time to wrap up the program. But if I can pull this up here, I want to show this real quickly. Uh, on clothing choices, for example, our, our culture just, we have an exhibitionist culture. There are, there are people now walking through a mall that if they'd walked out on the street a number of years ago, the vice squad would have picked them up. Yep. You know, it talks about in the Bible, the attire of a harlot. And that's kind of become common now. But yep. let's consider this real quick. Here is an envelope for mail. That's called a security envelope. It clearly exposes what should be exposed. Keeps your social security number, your bank information number. That's not everybody's business, and so it keeps that hidden. This is a different type mailer. It's trying to show as much as it can because it's wanting to advertise itself and draw attention to itself. Here's a nice fence. It has a good quality, nice fence, and it serves a purpose. Privacy. That is not the purpose of this fence. You know, this, this fellow did not want a fence you couldn't see through. He wants something that can show off. Look at this. Yes. And the last contrast, here is something that's nice and attractive. And it's one type of covering. Here's something else. And this is the way too many people dress. Yeah, <laughs> and and we live in a culture that just accepts these things, and we need to not accept that as is is part of our culture. And, and the point the point isn't that when you've got something covered up in that gift wrap package that it's something you're ashamed of, or when that business envelope only shows the address that the rest of the stuff in that envelope is dirty or ugly. It's just that it's not for everybody's eyes. The address is what's for everybody's eyes. Yeah. Not everything is everybody else's business. And, and certainly in terms of my own body, that's not everybody else's business. Shouldn't be. We got just a couple of minutes here. Stephen, Drew, final thoughts? I just think it's helpful coming back to Jesus's prayer where we started today in John 17 that uh, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. Uh, it's amazing. And aren't we grateful that Jesus became part of this world? Yes. But that he kept himself from the evil one and, and it's home for us. And, and Jesus is our ultimate example of this concept. 
of coming into the world, associating with people in the world, but not to approve of or celebrate their sin, but to call them out of their sin by his own behavior and by his teaching. Uh, and that's really our, our goal, isn't it? And being in the world, but not of the world. Absolutely. Well, we're coming up on the 45-minute time slot here. I want to thank you guys for all your comments and input. Thank you in the audience for your questions and your comments. We really appreciate that. Thank you, Drew. And uh, we hope to uh, see everybody again next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Good to be with you guys. And thank you all for listening today. Thanks for the good discussion. Thanks for you in the audience. All right. Thank you. And uh, have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye.